0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today we turn to Philippians chapter 1 as we read the verses 9 through 11. And there the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes these words. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So far the reading of The word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts today. Dear friends, like the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. Paul prayed often, especially for the churches which he had planted. And What's especially striking about this is the fact that in several of his letters, Paul actually told his readers what he prayed about. And we have a good example of that in our text today, Philippians 1, the verses 9 through 11. Paul had already informed the Philippians in verse 4 that he had prayed for them often and with joy. But then in verses 9 through 11, he tells them what he prays about. He prays that their love might abound still more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that they might approve the things that are excellent, that they might be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Such was Paul's prayer for the Philippians, and it's to that prayer that we turn our attention with God's help this afternoon. We're going to look at these verses under the theme Paul's Prayer for the Philippians. We'll consider, first of all, the central burden of this prayer. Secondly, the practical purpose of this prayer. And then, thirdly, the gracious fulfillment of this prayer. Paul's prayer for the Philippians contains one central burden. Now, at first glance, upon reading this prayer, you might not say so. You might look at these verses and say that Paul here prays for four things. First, that their love might abound. Second, that they may approve the things that are excellent. Third, that they might be sincere and without offense. And then, fourthly, that they might be fulfilled, filled rather, with the fruits of righteousness. But that is not true. The grammar of the text in the original Greek tells us that Paul here is praying for only one thing. He has one central burden or concern, and that is that their love might abound. The rest of the prayer builds on this one central concern. Now, what is love? In Greek, there are several words for love. There's the word eros, from which we get the English word erotic, and that's a sexual love. Then there is phileo, which is love between close friends or family members. And then there's another word, agape, and that's the word that Paul uses here in our text. Agape love is a love of devotion that manifests itself in self-sacrifice, in putting others ahead of oneself, in esteeming others better than oneself, being willing to do anything and expend every effort for the advantage and well-being and happiness of others. So it's an altruistic kind of love. Now this is exactly the kind of love that God has for sinners. This is the kind of love that moved God to send his son into the world to die on the cross. As John put it so powerfully in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him may not perish but have everlasting life. The word that John uses for love here is agape, the same word that Paul uses in our text. Now this is the love that Paul prays might abound in the Philippians towards each other. You'll notice he uses the word abound here. He doesn't just want this love to trickle. But he wants it to flow like a, like a river that overflows its banks. And not just abound, but abound, he says, more and more. Now, to be sure, as believers, the Philippians already possessed this capacity to love. As does every believer. Love is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer loves one another. If you don't love your fellow believers, John says in one of his epistles, you're not a believer. But Paul wants the Philippians to grow in this love. He wants them to abound more and more in this love. Now you notice when it comes to spiritual things, especially Christian gifts and graces, Paul was never satisfied with the bare minimum or with the status quo. He wanted believers everywhere to grow to develop, to mature, to reach higher and advance further. That means, dear believer today, never think that you have arrived. Never be satisfied with where you're at spiritually. Rather, you should desire to abound more and more in love and every Christian grace. But love for what or for whom? What is the object of this love? Is it God? Is it their fellow believers? Is it all men in general? Paul doesn't say, but it's likely he's thinking of all three of these. He prays that the Philippians would be overflowing with love for God and for all men. Now, of all the things that Paul could have prayed about, why does he pray for this? Why is love his burden, his central concern in this prayer? Well, it's because love lies at the very core of the Christian faith. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul says that love is greater than faith and hope. Jesus himself summarized the law with the word love. He said that the first table of the law is summarized like this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second table of the law is summarized like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the fulfilling of the law. That's what Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 10. In fact, if you don't love, as I said a moment ago, you're not a Christian. 1 John 4, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So the chief characteristic of a true Christian isn't prayer. It's not the knowledge of the Bible. It's not sound doctrine, as important and even essential as these things are. It is love. Now, to be sure, it's not easy to love. Love is contrary to our nature, in fact. By nature, we hate rather than love. And even after we've been converted to God, love is sometimes a challenge. It's not always easy to love God when he makes us undergo a painful and difficult trial. It's not always easy to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially when they say and do things that are hurtful and upsetting as they do sometimes. It's certainly not easy to love all men in general when they live in sin and in rebellion against God. And Paul knows this. That's why he prays that their love might abound more and more. He does this because he knew that the only way they can do this is by the grace of God. And such grace can become ours only by prayer. But not only does Paul pray that the Philippians' love might abound more and more, he prays that it might abound more and more in two specific areas. First of all, in knowledge. Paul wants the love of the Philippians to be a knowledgeable love, a love rooted in knowledge, specifically a love rooted in the knowledge of God, of who he is, and what he has done, is doing, and will do. And that's for a specific reason, because the more we know about God, the more we know who he is, and what he has done, and what he is doing, and what he will do, the more our love for him will abound. And people, when you start going steady with someone, the more you know about that person, the more your love for him or her will grow. Isn't that true? Well, the same is true when it comes to God. The more we know Him, the more we will love Him. And that's why it's so important for you to read and study His Word and to come to church, to hear His Word proclaimed. The more we know about Him, the more we will grow in love for Him. Secondly, Paul wants the Philippians' love to abound more and more in all discernment. Or we could translate that as insight or perception. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to love indiscriminately. He wants them to love with discretion, with discernment, with purpose. He wants them to love what is lovable. He wants them to love what God loves and conversely to hate what God hates. Now there's a connection between these two things, isn't there? Knowledge leads to discernment. And discernment feeds on knowledge, and both are essential to true love. Think of an axle and two wheels. The axle will not function properly unless it has two wheels, one on either end of the axle. And the wheels will not function properly unless they're attached to an axle. Well, so it is with love. Love is the axle, and knowledge and discernment are the wheels. Well, this then was the central burden of Paul's prayer. He prayed that the Philippians' love might abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. But perhaps you ask, well, why does Paul even pray this? For what purpose does he want their knowledge to abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment? Well, that brings us to our second point. When our love abounds more and more in knowledge and all discernment, it will produce three outcomes. First of all, Paul says, we will approve, or the Greek word actually is translated continually approve. We will continually approve the things that are excellent. Now this word translated approve means to regard something as genuine or worthy on the basis of testing. So let's say you wanted to buy a new car and you go to various dealerships and you look at the various cars that are available and you take one out for a test drive. The test drive will help you to decide which car is better than the other. And that's exactly the idea here. Paul is saying that when our love is saturated with knowledge and discernment, we will be able through a process of testing to decide what is superior or what is excellent. Now, what does Paul have in mind when he speaks of what is excellent? Well, he doesn't specify, and for good reason, because he wants to leave it as open-ended as possible. But this much we can say. The things that are excellent are the things that are pleasing to God and according to his law. Now, Paul actually spells this out in more detail later on in this epistle in chapter 4, verse 8. And there the apostle writes, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So do you want to know if the music you listen to or the movies you watch, or the games you play, or the books and magazines that you read, or the clothes you wear are excellent, just ask yourself, does it conform to the law of God? Or to put it even more simply, would God like it? Does it reflect his attributes? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it just, pure, lovely, of good report, and virtuous? Well, if it's not, then it's not excellent. And therefore, It's to be avoided. Secondly, when our love abounds more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, Paul says we will be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. Now, the day of Christ here refers to the day of judgment. It's called the day of Christ because it's on that day that the Lord Jesus Christ will manifest himself to the world and all men will appear before him. It's also the day in which all nations will bow before him, and he will receive all the honor and the glory that he deserves. Now Paul says that when that day comes, he wants the Philippians to appear before him as sincere and without offense. Now sincere can also be translated as pure. It describes someone who has no impure or hidden motives nothing to hide, nothing to feel ashamed of or embarrassed about. The word without offense can also be translated as blameless. It describes someone who does not stumble into sin or who doesn't cause others to stumble into sin. The first word, sincere, is internal. The second word, offense, is external. The first has to do with the heart. The second has to do with... With the life. But not only does Paul want them to be sincere and without offense, he also wants them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now, that phrase, filled with the fruits of righteousness, is an image drawn from the Old Testament. We could think, for example, of Psalm 1, where the psalmist compares the person who soaks his heart in God's word to a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Or we can think of John 15, where Jesus compares himself to a vine and believers to fruit-bearing branches in the vine. To be filled with the fruits of righteousness, then, means to show evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that includes the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which Paul mentions in Galatians 5, Verse 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But it includes more than that. It includes good works as well. Paul wants the Philippians to be filled with such fruit. Fruit which he says come not from ourselves, but from Christ Jesus. Now my friends, this is our Lord's will for everyone Of his people. He wants us to bear fruit, fruits of righteousness to his glory and honor. And the believer will. Just as a good tree will produce good fruit, so the believer will produce fruits of righteousness. What is more, he wants us to be filled with such fruit. So, child of God, don't just be satisfied with a few fruits. But ask God daily to give you grace to produce more and more fruit. The more fruit we produce, the more God is glorified. But thirdly, when our love abounds more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, God will be glorified. And Paul writes that you may may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now this is the end for which we were created. We were not created, we were not placed on this earth to make money, to have a good time, to enjoy all the good things that this life has to offer. Westminster Catechism says our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And this is how we do that. It's by approving the things that are excellent, by being sincere and without offense to the day of Christ and being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Well, this was Paul's prayer for the Philippians. What an amazing prayer it is. It's so rich, so deep, so full of warmth and pastoral love and concern and so God-focused. But you say, why did Paul pray this? Well, because he wanted the Philippians to be like Christ. Just think of it. Who was the one who abounded in knowledge? Who was the one who was able to approve the things that are excellent? Who was sincere and without offense? Who was filled with the fruits of righteousness? It was Jesus Christ. And Paul knows that. And this is why he prayed for these things. Because he wanted the Philippians to be like Christ. And so does God. This is why he saved us. This is why he justified us. This is why he sanctifies us, so that you and me, that we might be like Christ. But you say, how can such a prayer be fulfilled? Well, that brings us to our third and final point. Paul asks for a lot in this prayer. These were no small matters. These are no minor petitions. Paul asked great things of God. He's praying here, as we've seen, that the Philippians might become more and more like Christ. And he believed that God would answer that prayer. Otherwise, he would not have prayed for these things in the first place. Now, on what basis did he believe that God would do this? What is it that prompted Paul to ask such great things of God? Well, surely part of the reason is because God is able to do great things. But secondly, it was certainly not owing to anything in him. You see, Paul was a sinner just like you and me, and as such, he had no right to ask God for anything. So how then could he ask such great petitions of God? Well, it's because he served a great Savior. Paul says as much in our text, doesn't he, in verse 11, that the fruits of righteousness come by Jesus Christ. And that's true for every spiritual blessing. Not just the fruits of righteousness, but every blessing including the ones mentioned in our text, they all flow through Christ. One commentator writes this, and I quote, he says, Jesus is the conduit through whom God pours overflowing love with discerning wisdom into their thirsty hearts. Jesus is the wellspring of life from whom they are absorbing nutrients that enable them to bear the fruit of peaceable righteousness. It's an amazing thought. Christ is the conduit through whom God pours overflowing love. But what specifically does Jesus do that emboldened Paul to bring such great petitions before God? Well, two things specifically. First of all, because Christ earned every spiritual blessing for his people. He did that by coming into the world and living a perfect life and suffering and dying on the cross. Because of what Christ did, God is able and also willing to bestow blessing after blessing upon his people, including the blessings mentioned here in this prayer. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. You notice Paul here blesses God. For what? For blessing him and all believers with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Yes, they're all in Christ. It's only because of Christ that we, like Paul, can ask great things of God and that we can believe that God is able and willing to grant us what we ask for. But there's a second reason why Paul does this. Because he knows that Christ is making intercession for us at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And that means that he takes our prayers, also this prayer of the Apostle Paul, and he cleanses our prayers from all sin and shortcoming and presents them faultless before his Father in heaven. And he pleads on the basis of his finished work and of his shed blood on the cross that the Father would hear and answer these prayers according to his will. But he also prays for things that we don't always pray for. We're very good at asking God for material things. We're not always so good at asking God for spiritual things, like the things mentioned in our text, for example. But Jesus does. He prays for us even when we do not pray for ourselves. And why does he do that? Because he knows what we need. He knows what we need even better than we know ourselves. So while we continue to pray for certain things, he's praying for other things, things that are more important and necessary for you and for me. In fact, he's praying this prayer for you, even now, dear child of God. And he's fulfilling it. You might not see it yourself, but he is. And one day, the things that he prays for will be fully realized. For then we shall be like him in every respect, and we shall live and reign with him forever. So this is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He considered its central burden, which is love, its practical purpose, that we might approve the things that are excellent and be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ and be filled with the fruits of righteousness. We've also considered its gracious fulfillment, that it is all in and through Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you as I close, is this also your prayer today? Is it your prayer for yourself? Is this the kind of person you want to be? If not, I fear you're still dead in your sins. And to you, I say, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. For when the Lord begins a good work in our hearts, he instills within us a desire to be like this. And that's not going to happen overnight, but it will over time, more and more. Therefore, keep on praying this prayer. And ask the Lord to fulfill it in your heart to his glory. Do you pray this prayer for others? More often than not, the only time we pray for others is if there's a need. Sickness or a death of the family. But do we ever pray for the things that Paul prays for? What a difference it would make in our church life if we prayed this kind of prayer for ourselves and for every one of our church members. How would we be transformed? How we would all be more and more like Jesus Christ. And so let me challenge you, dear believer today. Pray this prayer. Pray it with all of your heart. Pray it in faith that the Lord is able and willing to do what he promises. And stand back and see what God will do. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, and Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That website again is banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can go to our web page and make a donation right on the web page. Our web page address, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.